Colossians 3 is where we turn again this morning, and verse 15 is our study time for today. We studied last time, verse 14, where he says, above all these things, put on love. Above all what things? All these virtues he's been talking about, but it's not something, even in this context, it's not just something that we strap onto ourselves, we just, you know, we get dressed with, we we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, we're going to do this thing, we're going to do this Christian thing by our own by our own big selves. No, you can't do it by our own big selves. We, we are unable to do the perfection that God requires. All he demands is total perfection. All he demands is be holy just as I am holy. Okay, how's that going for you? Um, yikes. If we're not in Christ, no amount of effort, no amount of good deeds, no amount of righteousness, no amount of striving after perfection is going to change our destiny. We've got to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We've got to be found in him, holy and complete. And so Paul has, has is now in this application part of his letter to the Colossians and has all these commands and all these imperatives and all this stuff. But that's after he's been talking about what Christ has done for us. That you used to be enemies of God, but now you've been brought near. Now you you were formerly uh, uh, alienated from God. You were formerly engaged in, in evil thoughts and evil deeds. But now he has redeemed you. He has reconciled you to himself. He has given you a new life. Now, don't go after chasing these um, these uh, false uh, philosophies and, and empty deceptions and, and uh, trying to do stuff. Uh, in, in your own asceticism, you know, beating yourself or restricting yourself or, 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 or go on the super mystical spiritual route. Oh, I, I believe I have visions from the Lord and I'm going to worship the angels and, and have a, a special connection with God. No, you, you don't have any special connection with God except through Christ. Come to Christ and he will give you everything. Ephesians 1 and verse 3 says every spiritual blessing he's given to us in Christ, not through our works, not through our mysticism, not through our heritage, not through our whatever. It's it's through Christ. And so when we get to these imperatives or the, this command section, we do it not thinking somehow we can earn our salvation better. Jesus got us, gave us a good kind of head start or a good push behind, you know, going down the sledding hill or, you know, whatever. He is the one who is, he carries us. He is the one we, 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 our life is hidden, right? Colossians 3 and verse 4, our life is hidden with Christ in God. Wow. And when Christ is revealed, we'll be revealed or manifested with him in glory. That's what we look forward to. That is our, our, uh, uh, purpose and our comfort and our hope. So he's he's telling us, because you are in Christ, because you are Christians, and again, this is the call for anybody, if you don't have an assurance of salvation, guess what? Today, today, December, whatever it is, 5th, today is the day of salvation. Just call upon him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And now that you're in Christ, those who have, those of us who've called upon him, he expects certain things of us. Again, not to advance us in his love and affection or in our place before him. We're, we're brought near through the blood of Christ. But he says, okay, there are some, there are some ways you ought to behave in the household of God. There are some ways that we should, should, uh, live to honor and characterize or, or fulfill our identity in Christ. And so love and peace, he speaks of here in verses 14 and 15. Love and peace. Let me just read the text for us as we as we come to it. Get us in our minds and we'll look especially at verse 15. But starting at verse 12, he says, So as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and graciously forgiving each other. 
Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord graciously forgave you, so also should you. Above all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We looked at verse 14 last time about putting on love as something that is above, beyond, in addition to, and even underneath what carries us forward. Love ought to characterize our relationships, certainly with God. We love God, but we prove our love for God by our love for others, certainly in the household of faith, but even uh, neighbors outside the church and um, enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But here he says in verse 15, and the connection between love and peace here is is very well demonstrated, but he also has a very similar statement uh, in Ephesians 4 and verse 4, I think it is, or verse 3, where he says that we ought to express or live out this peace. This is the unity of the Holy Spirit and the bond of peace. And so we have this, the peace of Christ, which again, whenever you think of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and you, you think of the peace of Christ or the peace of God or the peace of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It, we want to honor the fact that there is one God represented in three persons. And how do we understand that? It, it is beyond us. And yet we look at the scripture so much and we see the, the affirmation that there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and each they each have different roles and responsibilities and they have different relationships with each other and to us. But we honor a, a one God in three persons. When we talk about the peace of Christ, we can remember that the peace of Christ comes from the peace of God or the God of peace. There's it kind of goes back and forth either way, and that ought to dominate our relationships. Always in this section, when, when Paul says, what is the implication of being in Christ? It's not just a personal change of uh, eternal destiny. It's not just what... I look forward to individually, my sins are forgiven, I will be with God, but it's always in the context of a community or a corporate uh, identity. When he says, what's the implication of being in Christ? Not just an assurance of faith, which is all good. We, I have an assurance of my faith. I have an expectation that I have no condemnation. Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have peace with God. I have peace. You can have peace with God. But the implication of our of our Christianity is that we love, that we have different relationships, human relationships, that we can uh, evidence and manifest and demonstrate God's love in and through us. Just as we've been forgiven, we can graciously forgive others. Just as God puts up with us, we can put up with other people. Just as God has shown us compassion, we show compassion to other people. God has, has humbled himself, right? Christ humbled himself, Philippians 2, and we ought to have that same mind in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see how important relationships are or the, the societal uh, impact of Christianity. Why do I say that? Because often we would, we would want to say, it's just Jesus and me, and, and so many, especially in this, these last 
whatever how many months it's been since our our pandemic has uh, has come forward, how many Christians are forsaking the assembly, and not just the assembly, don't even get out of their house and just live in fear, and it's just so difficult. Wait a minute, how are we fulfilling the many, like over 20, 30, one another commandments we have to be patient with one another, love, bear with one another, encourage one another, uh, confront or admonish one another. We see that in verse 16, uh, or 17, 16, that we have so many responsibilities one to another. How can we fulfill those if we're not together? We've got to be together. We've got to be in the church for the love to be manifested, for this peace. So my point is, when we talk about here in verse 15, the peace of Christ ought to rule in our hearts. It's not just a an inner peace. It's not just something that I feel, a, a peace of God, which is true, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but it's always in the context of a corporate uh, application, that this is the peace of Christ. This is peace with, with members. Do you remember that list we saw back in verse uh, 11, there it is, verse 11, that we have, there's no, there's, there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man. We don't identify, we can, what do you mean, what, what's the big deal with all those different people groups? Are you kidding? Back in that first century, there was a big difference between, I mean, Greek and Jew. Obviously, there's a difference, and now they've been brought together. You can read Ephesians 2 and, and see how Paul d- builds up that uh, that peace that has been made through Greek and Jew through the blood of Christ, and we have been made into one new man. The implication of peace here is not just inner peace, but it is a peace within people who would normally be at odds. Barbarians, Scythians, murderous pagans that would come in and, and rule things, or even societal uh, differences, a slave or a, a master, a slave or a free man, it says here in verse 11. These kind of distinctions which would normally separate us, normally we would have this tribe and that tribe and that tribe, and, and not just ethnic tribes, but tribes of thought or identity, and and we would be at odds with each other. In Christ, we should let the peace of Christ rule in those relationships. In marriage relationship, husbands, wives, or parents, children, do you realize that there is no perfect marriage? I mean, you, you look at some and you say, well, that's a perfect marriage. Um, if you were to talk to them, no, they don't have a perfect marriage. Uh, the, the, the goal is always that we would reflect the reality of Christ in the church, but we fall far short of that. Peace in that relationship, bearing with one another, forgiving, graciously forgiving each other, responding to one another with compassion and humility. This is informs and, and underlies all this statement about let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This peace is so important. We looked at it a little bit last time about how peace and love are related. For example, Second um, Corinthians 13, 11, uh, Paul says, uh, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So he says in the, in the corporate assembly, you be marked by love and peace. Uh, love and peace are fruit of the Spirit. Galatians uh, 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and the rest there. And so peace and love go much together. What is this peace? Well, this is a peace that can evidence many different aspects. God is called a God of peace. He is uh, one who bids peace, the, the blessing that, the, that Aaron, the high priest, was supposed to give to the people regularly is in Numbers chapter 6. He says, uh, the blessing is Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yahweh lift up his face on you and give you peace. 
give you peace. This idea of peace is throughout the scripture. You think about the different greetings that Paul especially uses when he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the name of the God, the Father, and, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace are often uh, a, a greeting. It's a, it's a term of greeting, but it's also a term of farewell. You, you, it's one of those few Hebrew words that we know. We know hallelujah, hallelujah, and we know shalom, right? We know peace, shalom. We can use it as a greeting. And shalom, or peace, has multiple ideas. It is ultimately peace with God because, again, we were enemies and enemies are not on peaceful terms. They are fighting. There's Whether there's a hot war or a cold war or just resentment and bitterness and anger and plotting revenge, even though they might act like everything's fine, there, there's, there's enmity. There's warfare. But we have peace with God. We can remember this, especially at this time of year, Isaiah 9 and verse 6, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, God will rest on his shoulders, his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, the one who is characterized by peace, the one who accomplishes peace for us, again, Ephesians 2, our peace is accomplished through Christ, he has made peace, breaking down the, the barrier or the dividing wall and brought us together, Greek and Jew, so there's no distinction there. Romans 5 and verse 1, we have been justified by faith, and therefore we have peace with God. What's the issue? Our sin separates us from God, but we are justified by faith, here it says, and we have peace now with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Other places we find this teaching about having peace with God, which is so necessary. Again, when we, when we think about issues of forgiveness and, you know, people, you know, I need to forgive those people because they, they done me wrong kind of thing. Wait a minute. Let's back up. Have you asked God to forgive you? That is your greatest need. If you are in your sins, you will be condemned. I don't want to deliver that bad news. I'm giving you a kind of a heads up. Hey, you're, you're heading for destruction. If you're not clothed in Christ and you think you're going to be fine when you stand before God, you will stand before God. You better find your identity in Christ. Find your peace. Find your justification. Find your forgiveness. And then, because we have been forgiven so much, we can forgive others. We can be gracious toward others. We can put up with each other. We can cover sin, as we studied recently. I mentioned, too, this peace of God or peace of Christ mentioned here can refer to an inner peace, a, a peace that is um, more subjective. It's the peace of God, as, as he says in Philippians 4, that we should think about wonderful, pure, commendable things. And he says, the God of peace be with you. Or verse 7 says, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So it's both the peace of God and the God of peace be with you. Wow, that is tremendous. It's not just enough uh, that, for example, you, you buy a, a, a fancy automobile. It's not just that you have the car. You have then access to the person who designed it and built it and delivered it to you. You have all that access to the, 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 the brains, the genius behind it. That's what we have with God. Not only the peace of God, but the God of peace will be with us. So that brings us joy and contentment. Uh, it's interesting how Paul says at the end of Romans, Romans 16, he says uh, all these things, wonderful things, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You think, whoa, there's some God of peace going after war and destroying things, destroying Satan. That's what we look forward to. But he has to do that. If God is the God of peace, he has taken away sin. He will destroy all enemies of Christ. What, is, what does God the Father say to the Son? You sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool. Footstools are not honorable 
position, you know, furnitures in your house. There's, there's something you put your dirty feet on and you rest on there. There's something that are subject to the, the comfort and the, the authority of the household members. And God says, I'm going to destroy all enemies, including Satan. I will crush, uh, Satan under your feet. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And many other places we can remember the fact that we have this inner peace, uh, um, carrying us forward in times of tumult and, and distress and uh, difficulties and confusion and uh, doubts even we have, we, we return. God is a God of peace. He's a God of, of comfort. He is the God not just of a little comfort, all comfort. Second Corinthians chapter 1 is given to us. And so we can do that. So we have peace with God. We have inner peace or subjective peace. But then again, as I was saying, this peace between people, a relational peace, a peace with others. It's, it's tremendous. It's a comfort. It's a joy to remember this proverb, Proverbs 16 and verse 7. When a man, man's ways or woman, boy and girl, ways are pleasing to Yahweh, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And you think, oh, that'd be wonderful. Cause I have these, this coworker or this neighbor or this uncle or the, you know, whatever person. And they're just a thorn in my side. Well, God, please help me. Uh, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now we take that, you know, the Proverbs are axiomatic. That means they're generally true. They would, they would be lovely if they were true all the time. But you have the statement in Psalm 120, the statement that David, I think David wrote that Psalm. He says, too long my soul has had us dwelling with those who hate peace. They hate peace. Um, I'm for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. I would love to have peace with this person, but for whatever reason, they are so motivated against it. I want peace. I desire it. And yet, sometimes, I have to love my enemies. I have to put up with them. I have to uh, pray for those who persecute me. All these wonderful things that Jesus says, which are difficult, nigh impossible to do in the flesh, but through the power of the Spirit, we can love. What did Jesus do on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What does Stephen do as he's being stoned? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, this, this supernatural, because that's what it is, supernatural ability to love others who are not very lovely at the time. It's kind of one of the reasons I say it's a good thing God made babies cute because they are, what did you call them? Diapers and the, vipers and a diaper. And I don't think the saying goes, just difficult. Or in our household, we've had puppies. Good thing God made puppies cute because what did they just do? All eight of them. Oh, and we just have to, we just have, have to have peace. We have to have the inner peace. We have to put up with each other. So much of this peace is, is around. Do you know, sometimes even the most spiritual among us can have conflict and dissension. You think of Paul who wrote this. He wrote this command to, uh, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. But there was a time when he had a great dissension between himself and his his co-worker his brother Barnabas at the end at the beginning of uh or at the end of chapter 15 of Acts such a sharp disagreement over a fella a guy who had abandoned them Paul said he abandoned us on our first missionary journey and Barnabas said no he's all right I want to bring him along and Paul said no and Barnabas said yes and they they could not agree and they ended up separating what is interesting, and we'll see it again later in Colossians 4, is that somehow, somewhere along that time, because that was just before the second missionary journey, which would have been when? The mid-50s? So sometime after, anyway, I belabor it. But there was peace made between 
Paul and Barnabas. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, do only Barnabas and I not have authority to refrain from working? He's trying to affirm the fact that because the Corinthians got after him because you didn't receive our gifts. You, you, you have to work your own self. And Paul says he made that statement, but he mentions Barnabas in a positive light, I guess is my point there. And even with Mark, the guy that Paul said, no, I don't want anything to do with him anymore. He abandoned us. He says in Colossians 4, Mark, the same Mark, that we were talking about, sends you his greetings. He's the cousin of Barnabas, and he says about whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. So it's not just a matter of if he comes to you, watch out, because he'll probably he'll probably turn on you. He's a turncoat. No, he says, welcome him into your fellowship. And even uh, a, a letter he wrote at the same time, uh, Philemon, Philemon was a citizen of Colossae. Paul writes to him, he says, Mark, uh, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So there's there's a, a unity, a, a restoration of fellowship and and partnership even in the gospel that Paul had with Barnabas, with Mark, and even at the end of Paul's life, Second Timothy four, he says, "Pick up Mark." Uh, Paul says to Timothy, "Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service." So there's that joy that even if we have disagreements, Lord help us that we would have times of restoration and and uh, reconciliation, and we'd have that peace. We want to have this peace. He says in this verse, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This is something, it's a command. Let it be in your in your hearts. Let it rule in your hearts. It's something that we not only have to let happen, but also actively pursue to engage and, and desire that reality in our lives. It's not something that happens just off the cuff. We've got to stop and think. You remember all the, the elementary school teachers that would say, Think before you speak. Stop, take a moment, count to 10, take a long walk. Um, I remember one guy who, uh, in our church in Texas, who had an issue with one of his military commanders. I forget the issue itself, but it made him so upset. He didn't speak, but he went and read through the entire Psalter, 150 Psalms, three times before he responded. Whereas we, you know, we, we see a, a Twitter feed, Twitter, whatever, tweet, and we'll, and we just let up everybody, the whole world, even though you have five followers, the whole world knows what I think. Wait a minute. Is that so necessary? Can't you be inconvenienced? Can't you be willing to be misunderstood even? I mean, you were valiant for the truth and all that kind of thing, but really, how should you respond? Measure your response to other people because it's inevitable so we looked at this it. inevitable that stumbling blocks come, offenses, disagreements, arguments. But he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What is this idea of ruling? Well, ruling has the idea of reigning, uh, commanding, directing. And this is something that we uh, remember even from a verse back in verse 18. I think it was chapter 2. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. This idea of defrauding you of your prize is... Somewhere in, a, in a, an athletic context where you have umpires and, okay, you, if you watch football or basketball or any kind of athletic competition, many times you would find fault with the umpires or the referees or whoever's judging. You say, they, they missed it. Oh, you have eyes? You need glasses? Ref? I mean, all these kind of things. This one here, this verse 18 says, don't let anyone keep defrauding of your prize. They're giving false rulings. They're, they're, they're not seeing what's going on here. They are defrauding you or keeping you from what you have rightfully earned. What the point is, the referee has that authority. 
to determine what's going on. The ref's word says, even if it's incorrect, the ref is the one who decides what the, what the outcome is. This idea of, of ruling here, translated, is the idea of controlling. It is based on some judgment, based on some, you know, it's a judgment call, a decision, and it, it's, uh, has to do with deciding the winners even of a contest. And we think, well, I don't want to have our relationships kind of be a contest. Well, so many times they are. We think more highly of ourselves, and we think, I need to win. I need to look good. I need to come out on top somehow. I need to have the last word, whatever. No. Let the peace of Christ, not your attempt toward accomplishing peace, let the peace of Christ, it's his peace that he brings to us, let that be the deciding factor. Let that peace, that peace that we have with God, the inner peace that we have, and the peace that we desire with one another, let that determine your response verbally, uh, emotionally, uh, action-wise. We want God's peace to preside over our relationships. He says, let that peace rule in your hearts, that we would not respond with uh, impulsive words, thoughtless words, and later we would have to say, well, I didn't mean that. I don't know where that statement came from. Guess where Jesus says that came from? It came from your heart. You say, I didn't mean to say that. Well, nobody put those words in your mouth. That came from you. So we need to stop and think, what, what is reigning in your heart? What is? What do you desire? What are you... Do you desire to think of other people as more important than yourself? Do you desire that Christ would be honored in your relationships, in your words, in everything you say and do? Well, if that is ruling and reigning in your heart, that is going to change your relationships. That is going to change how other people interact with you. That will change even how your enemies interact with you. We want this peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. This is not just something that, oh, I'll let peace rule with my, my facial countenance. Well, I'll, I'll wear a poker face all throughout the next family g- gathering. And I'll just be a, a, you know, I'll just, you know, grin and bear it kind of thing. Well, there is a measure of hypocrisy there. And now there's a point at which, okay, if that's the best you can do, it's better than nothing. Kind of like that old elementary school saying, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all, right? That's what, Thumper, thumper, yes, thank you. Bambi, exactly, thank you. Um, that's funny. So sometimes we just need to do what we know is right. He says, go deeper than that. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This, the heart is not just the thumping organ, the, um, thumper again. The, it's not just something that, that animates our life or gives oxygen to ourselves. The heart is the place where we decide things. The heart is where we think about things. The heart is where we uh, have affections and and desires. We, we we think so much of the heart being the place of uh, emotion and and feeling, which it is, but it's much more than that. Uh, it is it is something that that interfaces with our um, our our whole being. In fact, it's interesting as you consider a, a phrase, a justification, saying, "Well, I didn't mean to say that. I must be tired. Or I don't feel so well. Therefore, you know, I, I just I said things I shouldn't have said." Well, okay, there, there's a reality to that. If you didn't get enough sleep, I mean, sleep is its a gift from God, but it is a necessary gift. We've got to have sleep because then that helps us with self-control, helps our thinking. Sometimes our thinking is askew because we haven't gotten enough sleep or we haven't eaten enough good good food. So it's a place where our body and our, well, I'll put it this way, our outer man, our flesh, and our inner man feed on each other or inter, interface with each other. We've got to take care of outer man, inner man issues. 
And so he says, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. The heart is a place where we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We have the Holy Spirit uh, indwelling, uh, is given to us. He's um, poured out within our hearts. Romans 5 and verse 5 says, the heart is the place of affection or desire. This phrase is just, oh, it's just so heartbreaking. Pardon the pun. Genesis chapter 6, the Lord, Yahweh, saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart you think, pointed my this, and then I pointed to this, because that's how we think of it. But the inner man, the thoughts of the heart, was only evil continually. Now, that's the justification God gives for sending the flood. Not just a local flood, but the worldwide flood, because every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. When God just goes in deeper and deeper and says everything, all the time, is evil. And yet God is the one who cleanses our hearts, give us a new heart, a new covenant kind of thing. Again, if God requires perfection, God requires holiness, all he requires, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5 says, you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's all I require, which is just ask for the moon, God. You know, ask for, he acts, asks for everything from us. That we should love with our our affection, our desire to be to have a a, a um, appetite. We've read having a hungering, a thirsting after righteousness. He wants us to have. The heart is the place of thinking. Uh, in that verse, Genesis six and verse five, every intent of the thoughts of his heart is the place of our of our cogitation, our our meditating, our musing over thoughts. Uh, you know, saying this is true or that that's not true, and this is why this is true, and this is why that isn't true. This is where we make value judgments. This is good. This is bad. This is what I desire. This is something I hate. And so that is taking place in our hearts. Self-talk, when we talk to ourselves in the heart, Deuteronomy 8 and verse 17 says, you may say in your heart this and that and the other thing. And Jesus says very similar things, knowing the thoughts of their heart, knowing that they were reasoning about, can Jesus really forgive sins? He said, yes, I can. Let me prove it to you. They were reasoning in their hearts. They were thinking. They were making these value judgments. The heart is the place of belief. My point in, in belaboring this is to say it's not just an emotional response. I love other people. I'm going to have a heart. I'm going to trump it up. I'm going to just... You've got to have right thoughts, right desires, right affections. You've got to have a heart that is after Christ. And that changes our relationships. When we have right faith or right beliefs, that is empowering then to our relationships. If the heart is the place of belief, then we need to believe the right things. Doctrine does matter. Theology, facts do matter. It does, it's not just for the, for, uh, you know, um, having the right answers to, to Bible trivia things. It is so we can live a life that honors God. The heart, lastly here, is a place of resolve. It's a place that we make decisions and then carry those forward. Uh, it's interesting how Moses, when he was bringing together people to build the tabernacle back in Exodus 36, Moses called everyone whose heart stirred him to come to the work to perform it. So whose heart was had resolved, I wanted, I want to participate in this. And a lot of them participated by donating gold and silver and, and fabric and all this wonderful stuff. And there were a few who God gift, whom God gifted to uh, with skill to be able to work with all those things and make the beautiful um, uh, furniture and stuff of the tabernacle and eventually the temple. But it's everyone whose heart stirred him to action. And we have 
this, this place of intention. Do you remember in Acts 5 when Ananias and Sapphira were plotting? They were meditating. They were thinking about how can we make ourselves look good in the assembly? Hey, Ananias and Sapphira, you, you donated big money that, that last, you know, last week. And they said, yeah, we did. Boy, it was, it was really a sacrifice for us. And Peter says, why is it that you laid this deed or decided this deed in your hearts? This is where they were thinking of it. All this comes back to the idea is you can't necessarily control your emotions. Now, you can to a certain degree, but you can certainly control everything that leads to those emotions, how we decide on things, how we make value calls and, and decisions on things, what kind of things we appreciate, what things we don't appreciate. And all those things then interface or interact with our relationships. If the peace of Christ truly is ruling in our hearts, not just in our, our facial expression or in our uh, our biography, you know, the, the, I've never killed anybody and stolen anything and all that kind of stuff. But is it really ruling in your hearts? Your what is what is driving your behavior on a day to day basis? That shows we're in Christ. That shows that we are honoring Christ with everything we are. Now he says here, we'll not look at it this this time. But why does he say this? What what is the big point of this? Because peace is so necessary in the church. You were called to peace in one body, and you should be thankful about it. You know, there are there are many things. I mean, you get to choose in our society, I and mean, you get to choose who you get to marry, whom you marry. Uh, you don't get to choose what kind of children you have. Isn't that interesting? You know, if you sometimes I've never ordered a new vehicle, but I think it seems like you can go either to the dealership and you can tell them I want this color of outside and this color of inside and I want this and that and all these different. Wouldn't that be nice with children? No, it wouldn't be nice. God picks. God chooses and God gives us exactly what we need. Isn't that wonderful? Can't you trust that? And we can trust that. We can trust that in regard to our vocation even. Everything. We we trust God. We 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 almost just as a child, approaches God and says, God, Father, I trust you. I love you. Help me to receive from you what you have for me. And it's not, it's not just what we receive from God, but also what he takes from us. We can trust him in that. We often say in our family that we want to have open hands before the Lord for him both to put and to take as he sees fit. We don't want to clutch things. I'll say, God, I have this offered to you, but that's what I have to offer you. And God says, that's nice, but what's in your hand? This one clenched behind your back. That's the way he goes after because he says you will have no other gods before me. Don't have anything, any hidden sins, any hidden wonderful things. Uh, God, don't take my wife. Don't take my husband. Don't take my children. Don't take my health. Happened to Job. And even in all those, Job did not curse God. He said, God has given, God has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. To have this peace in our relationships comes back, do I have peace with God? Do I have a relationship where I trust him? I really do trust him. And I know that apart from my identity in him, I'm nothing. Apart from his leadership and rulership in my life, apart from his justification by grace through faith, I have nothing. And if we have that, then that changes everything. That changes our relationships, changes our perspective on life. It changes our perspective on bad news. What is bad news? It's just the enemy trying one additional attempt to dethrone God, to uh, do damage, to destroy. Satan is, is so active in this world, and yet we trust God. We have this peace, and we want that peace to be manifested in the church so that Christ would be honored and glorified 
and especially at this time of year, to reflect that unity we have in the bond of peace through Christ Jesus our Lord. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the truth of your word and how you are saving and sanctifying and you are delivering us from our greatest fears. We pray that we would truly be motivated out of love, adoration, respect, fear of you, and not be so given to the whims of this world or the whims of our own flesh, what we find comfortable or convenient, but we would lay down our lives for the brothers, that we would pursue peace, not just with those who like us or we like, but those even who are enemies. You said when a man's ways please the Lord, you make even their enemies to be at peace. We pray that we would have peace. We know, and we read it in Romans sixteen twenty, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We know that there is a peace that can only be had after a war. And we pray that you, as the war leader, as even the warrior, the great warrior, the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, would come and put as subject all your enemies, and that they would, well, even before that, we know that you will come and judge, but we pray now that you would bring, bring grace and that even those who are enemies of the gospel, enemies of Christ, enemies of the church, enemies of life and what is right and good and pure and beautiful, we pray that they'd repent and trust in you and find a new identity. But in the meanwhile, or in the in the long run, we pray that you'd be honored and glorified. We pray that you'd be justified or, or proved right in all, even though all people would be called a liar. We pray that you, your truth would prevail. Please help us to love. Please help us to live at peace with one another. We pray this for your sake and for your glory. Amen.